Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donia Keating. I'm coming to you live from the Seattle area at 3 p.m. Pacific time on September 11th. Listeners, you can dial 646-378-0261 to chime in. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak so we know that. And uh, I believe we also have a chat being fired up by Christine if you just want to send your questions and comments there. So this afternoon is our second show in the Dreamweaver series, and the Dreamweavers is really about people that may have had a job, may have been doing something else before, and then they just sort of burn their ships and and take a chance and go out there and they start their own new ventures as an entrepreneur. And we talk about the trials and tribulations and the lessons learned and uh, what they would have done differently and just kind of the path to, to what they've done. So today, uh, we're actually going to be talking with Norm Johnson, and so I don't know who knows Norm and who doesn't, but from 1982 until about 1999, he was a kicker in the NFL. He played for the Seattle Seahawks for about eight years, and then he played for Atlanta and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And during his career, he was a two-time pro bowler, he was all pro, and he helped lead the Pittsburgh Steelers to Super Bowl thirty in the 1995-96 season. So it's it's been a few years since he's played, but uh, he's still number 10 on the NFL's list of all team-leading scorers. And so now he's in business with his partner, who is Neil Nilsson, and the two of them created 12-man pale ale. So um, we'll talk a little bit about 12-man pale ale and how they came up with that name and some of the things that they even dealt with with that. And the beer has kind of taken off. It was launched in December 2013, um, released by Dick's Brewing Company, and it's a well-balanced pale ale. It's about four and a half percent, and everybody can drink it and enjoy it. And it's for the fans. I mean, when they started, it was for the fans. So, I'm going to go over to the board and check with Chris and see if he's out there, so that we can uh, get our conversation started. And oh, so I'm hearing from Chris that he is not here yet. So I don't know. What's going on with that? Uh, if there's anyone out there that has any questions for Norm, um, like I said, I think Chris is running the chat room separately, and so you can fire that up. And while you're waiting, if you know where our Facebook page is, that's backslash STR8 Talk Radio. You can always like us there. You can always follow us here. And uh, we'll talk some more about that. Uh, I, You know, Today, I'm sure most of you know, is a very special day and uh, for a lot of us. It's not just for Americans, it's for a lot of other people as well around the world. It's September 11th and uh, some some things that occurred on that day, many lives lost um, that day and afterwards uh, with the first responders and even the people that were trying to uh, clean up and locate some of the, the remains and, and put the situation, for our perspective, you know, from us, for us and from our perspective, put it right. Um, I don't I don't talk about it as much in open circles, but I do talk to some of my friends, and there were about 24, 25 different people that day um, uh, that I lost. And it was just a very uh, private and personal experience for me, and it's still a very uh, personal experience for me dealing with the family members and 
you know, talking with him every year, a few of them, or at least corresponding with them, and taking you know, some time to remember uh, some of the people and, and who they were and the, the uh, experiences that we shared and, and going forward. So it, it's really been a, uh, it's, it's over the last few years, it's certainly become a, a very interesting uh, thing where you're still trying to heal and you're still trying to get through that and grieve. And, you know, it's just kind of amazing to me that even after all this time, it's still a, um, it's still not a slam dunk. It really isn't. I mean, it's, it, in some ways, it feels the same way it did the day that it happened. And so there are a lot of people out there that are um, chiming in right now and talking about some of the things that they were doing on that day and what they remember about it. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk some more about that if we get a chance. But for now, I think Christine is saying that we still don't have Norm out there. So I don't know if we're going to be able to go through with the full uh, range of the show today without him. But I, oh, she just told me that he was out there. So let me give a let me give a shout and see if he's out there. So hang on a second, folks. I think I have Norm out here. Norm, do I have you? Yes, you certainly do. Well, great. Hello, welcome. hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Sorry for being a little tardy. So, well, you know, it happens. And, you know, we, we our whole thing about the show is we try to be a little bit more relaxed about things here. So we're going to jump right in with you. And I've already given a little bit of intro. So why don't you just tell us about yourself, a little bit of highlights from your past and how you got to the point you are today. Oh boy. Well, you know, I uh I guess I'll tell my whole story. I grew up in Southern California, played a lot of sports growing up. I was uh play, played basketball, soccer, baseball, football, and uh that played a lot of different positions and that eventually as I when I became a senior kind of got pinpointed as a kicker and UCLA was interested in me and my dad had gone to UCLA back in the day, so that's where I wanted to go. So that led me to college, and that's where I had uh, specialized in just kicking. And went to UCLA and spent my four years, my first two years I kicked off only, and second two years I kicked off and kicked field goals and uh, signed as a free agent way back in 82 with the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. That was a perfect landing spot for me because I actually – um, this was kind of a second home for me because my, my mom grew up here in Ballard and went to school up here, and I had a lot of relatives in this area. And my my parents were both school teachers, and every summer we got in the station wagon and drove north and spent it between uh, Ketchikan, Alaska, and Seattle, Washington. So landing here was was a perfect spot for me, and I spent nine years here uh, playing football. Really enjoyed it. I love the city. Uh, I got. Uh, I was on the very first playoff team for the Seattle Seahawks back in 1983. It's very exciting. And then uh, my time kind of ran out here, and uh, that landed after I. Um, they moved on in 1991. I landed in Atlanta, and I played for four years out there. Loved it. Uh, actually, living in Atlanta. And we had some great teams. I played for a crazy coach, Jerry Glanville. I had a lot of fun. I uh, had some real characters on that team. And that stint lasted four years. And after that, went to Pittsburgh Steelers. My first year with the Steelers, went to uh, the Super Bowl, played in the Super Bowl. We lost the Dallas Cowboys, but that was a great experience. Played there until 1998. 
uh, season, and then in 1999, I played my final season in Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's kind of my football career, and when I was done with my career, we were living in Atlanta at that time, and uh, we moved back to the Pacific Northwest, moved back to Kitsap County, and uh, I became a real estate agent. Still have my license, don't do a lot there, do a lot of other things, a lot of dabbling and and uh, and many different things. But that's kind of a quick synopsis of kind of my career and where I am today. Uh, awesome. So, you know, how did the idea of brewing and releasing a craft beer come about? Now, remember you put oh. up, heads up for those people that don't know. It was a, a brew on premises that was in Silverdale, and it was uh, started by Ted Farmer, who kind of created almost like a cheers environment. So we have family members, quote-unquote, from all over the world that, you know, no matter where they end up going, we're still considered family. And Norm was a part of that. So it, it, what started your thoughts about um, coming up with a craft beer? Well, outstanding question, and I don't know how much time we have for this, but I'll give you a little background. Uh, when I landed here in 1990, or excuse me, landed in Seattle from Southern California in 1982, that was right in the beginning of craft brewing, as kind of I knew it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Red Hook was not very far from where I lived up in Redmond and uh, uh, kind of just became a oh I, I started enjoying the craft beer world and and um moving away from the the yellow beer and as that kind of grew and as it as that craft brewing grew in the seattle region the pacific northwest i just enjoyed that kind of a beer and i actually started to do some home brewing and i was never all that good i had fun with it it was kind of a little hobby. It wasn't really a passion per se, but it was it was a fun little hobby. And so I, when I went out, um, I started that probably in the, the late '80s, early '90s. And then when we went out to Atlanta, I did a little bit more home brewing, and uh, kind of stopped that, but um, moved back to Kitsap County. And you mentioned Ted. Well, one of the first people right. I met was Ted back in um, the early 2000s when I moved back to Silverdale. I didn't really know anybody, and I drove down the street, and I thought by the name there was a home brewing place. Well, it wasn't exactly a home brewing. It was how you – it was a brew on premise, and I went in there and met right. Ted. Over the years, in that little community there, heads up, I became quite the little beer snob really enjoyed some of the finer beers of the world and, and got a better understanding of uh, brewing and, and different flavors of beer and found out some things that I liked that were hard to find. And Anyway, I always had kind of a... The, the simple answer to your initial question is I always had a, a love for craft beer. And as I expanded my palate into all kinds of different... You know, some, some would call it crazy kind of beers... I just uh, was it was kind of always in my in my blood a little bit, and um, a friend of mine had a had a or he's a friend now. He wasn't really a friend then. I, I'd met a guy, and he says, "Hey, what do you think of this idea?" And I said, "Well, that's a pretty good idea." And he was real early in the stage, and he says, "Hey, I'm looking for a partner." So we we teamed up and and 
got the trademark for 12 man pale ale and okay. we uh it, it took that all the way to kind of where it is today you know going through the process of finding a brewery and and creating a recipe and um finding the right beer people to handle the product and and you know the marketing and promotion and all that and it's been that part's been a, a real learning curve well, what were some of the challenges fun. you faced during that process? I mean, you, you brought that up. I mean, was it the brewing? Well, was here, it here's getting in, it to market? Here's an interesting challenge. We knew we had a uh, product, a marketable product, and we had no idea how much beer we would sell, but we thought we'd sell quite a bit because um, uh, we, we had no other numbers to go on. We didn't know what other breweries were selling or the product, but the problem was finding a brewery that had extra capacity. Hmm. So one of my close breweries that is one of my favorites is Silver City, and I've known those guys okay. for a long time. They're right here in in Silverdale and um, area. Got to know them, and they were one of the first people I came to, and, and they were just doing so well with their products, they really had no extra capacity. So okay. it was a matter of, okay, because most breweries start as small, and then when they outgrow the brewery, they build just enough to expand a little bit because all that equipment's expensive, and then they outgrow that, and they buy a little more equipment and outgrow that. And so that's kind of how breweries um, grow. So not very many people <laughs> have a big, huge brewery and say, well, we're only at half production. Most people are at something much higher. So that was a challenge, going around and asking people, one, who's interested in taking a product to market, and two, if if you're interested, do you have extra capacity? And so that was probably one of the bigger challenges. And uh, uh, Edix had, uh, where where we ended up landing, had extra capacity, but we were a little more popular than we even thought last year, and that was uh, getting our production up to where we needed it was was a challenge to keep up with demand. Now, you said earlier that, you know, kind of jokingly but also seriously, that you had started off with the yellow beers, and then by, you know, getting involved in the craft beer scene and being with Heads Up, you kind of you know, became a snob and, and learned about other types of beers. So then you went back and you did 12-man pale ale, which is kind of a yellow beer. So what what reason that you guys have for choosing the type of beer that you eventually did and why 12 Mountain pale ale why did you name it that well actually my partner had had uh, coined that name before i got involved so i didn't hmm, okay. i wasn't involved in the choosing process he just said what do you think of this idea and i said oh, wow where'd you get that he goes well we're in the trademark process right now and and so I got in at, at that point before we mm-hmm. knew we could get a trademark and we had to go through that whole process. But um, um, what we tried to do, you know, a pale ale is not a yellow beer. Most of the, all the yellow beer is some <laughs> kind of, you know, Pilsner lager beer, and this is right, an right. ale. But um, we, one of the things that I wanted to do was try to somewhat bridge that gap. I wanted to create a beer that a yellow beer drinker, and granted there's still an awful lot of them in the world, 
and an awful lot mm-hmm. of, of the people, you know, that watch sporting events and tailgate and do all that, drink yellow beer. Well, right. I wanted to do something that could appeal to them, but at the same time be a craft beer. And honestly, that's a bit of a challenge. Um, it is. Yeah, it it it, it is. And um, the marketing challenge, from our standpoint, is most yellow beer. This is my experience. I'm not going to say that. I'll just tell you this is my experience and some of my view on this. But a yellow beer drinker has been a yellow beer drinker for a long time, and they're kind of in their niche, and that's all they ever order. And most of the time, they whenever they try a craft beer, they make a face and they say, "Oh, oh that's too bitter." And I think most yellow beer drinkers think craft beer is bitter beer. So one of the things I wanted to do was cut down on the bitterness of the beer. Mm-hmm. And I would we started experimenting. So I'd go into a an establishment and I'd ask somebody, what do you normally drink? Oh, I'm a Bud guy or I'm a Coors or I'm a Rainier guy or whatever it is. And I said, would you try something for me? I said, sure. I'd have them taste that beer and they go, oh, God, that's pretty good. I could, I could drink this. You know, it's not too bitter. Right. And so through my experiences, I could get a lot of yellow beer drinkers to actually like my beer. And it would be something that they could drink and something that they could order. And a lot of people would say, oh, God, yeah, I could drink that. But that tastes way better than, you know, stuff I'm drinking. But here's our challenge is you have to educate people at the like the bartender level when they see somebody who comes in and orders the same beer over and over and over and over again instead of just taking an order and saying okay same thing today roger yep they say hey well have you tried this you might you might want to try this you know most people like it and and give that mm-hmm. give roger a taste of it so that they can experience something that they say hey i actually like that well that would work if you could get that education process down to that level and um, it, that's a challenge to say the least that is yeah. a challenge most people at that level are order takers um they they say, look at you and say what do you have you know what or what i mean what will what will you have today same with cocktail waitresses and such so infiltrating the yellow beer drinker is a challenge from a you know, craft beer side and then you know we wanted to create a, a beer that was very drinkable um the, the type of craft beer that i like and that you know, i learned to really like it heads up you couldn't drink a lot of them well, if you're because, drinking it, yes. yeah, because, well, a lot of times it's real heavy, and a lot of times it's a lot <laughs> higher octane. So if I was drinking the type of beer I normally drink on a Sunday afternoon watching games, I'd be sleeping through the afternoon games. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's very, it's very true. It's very true. It is. You it's know, very true. I have true. a very strong preference for, for Belgians. You know, like we used to love Meritsu, for instance. I mean, Meritsu 10, that, it says 10 for a reason. It's 10%. And so... You know, a lot of things I was thinking about that, I said, yeah, you don't want to jump in if you're going to be starting something and go straight from, you know, trying to convert, like you said, the many people that drink yellow beers into some big, bold, you know, aggressive brew that they're just not going to take to, even though it's something that we might like. So, but 12 Man right. Paleo was like featured to... on tap at the Clink, wasn't it? Wasn't it at the Clink for a while? 
It was last year for a couple of preseason games. And yeah, let's just no, say yeah. that um, that's a tough one to get into. But let's just say some, are we going to be able to get some, it there, or we're never going to be able to get it there, or are we just gonna no, let's just say some big some some big players in that game that spend an awful lot of money have a little bit of say in some of those stadiums. I get it. Yeah, and. Okay. It, to fight that battle, to fight you know a global company is uh, <clears throat> an uphill battle at at, uh, at best. So I'll just leave it at that. So we decided that that wasn't worth the fight. So we you know went around the stadium to the the sports bars and such, and uh, we were happy with that. Which is kind of interesting because the twelfth man, which is a different name, you can't use twelfth man, I guess, because it's already taken. But twelfth man is huge here. I mean, it's not like it was invented in Seattle, but it's a huge thing here, and so it, w- it would have been a natural fit to have to be at the clink. So uh, that's unfortunate. But yeah, other than that, we've got to separate ourselves. We're definitely not twelfth man pale 12th. ale or affiliate affiliated with twelfth man. Right. So how has the beer been received thus far? I mean, are you is it in stores and bars and where else can we get where can we get it? It is in almost any chain that you can um mention. We're in, you know, Trader Joe's and Safeways and Albertsons and I think we're in Whole Foods and Winco's and we're at Costco now and AMPM awesome. has just come on board and you know, I think 7-Elevens and and in a lot of these places, I'm learning how some of that works. You have to get approved corporately. That doesn't mean that corporate mandates that's in all these locations. But as long as it's on their approval, then the store managers can you know, pick and choose what they want to bring in. And fortunately, we've had a lot of the store managers that want to bring our product in. And now we have both six-packs and 12-packs uh, and draft. Last year, we had draft and we didn't actually get cans to the market till um, middle of December. You know, that's well into the season. But this year we had our six packs out, and now our twelve packs have uh, um, been out for a couple of weeks. So they're starting to be seen everywhere. So um, most people can find it. Whereas last year it was challenging because it was in such demand. It hit the floors and it'd be gone forty-five minutes sometimes, and in stores. That's a good problem to have. Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> it's a good problem because you know that there's demand, but when you look at what the orders were and what we were able to fill, uh, you know, there's you know a lot of money left on the table. Oh, that's true. Right, from that perspective. You know, you'd want an even balance yeah, if you could have it. Right, right. So, I mean, as we're starting to wrap up here, um, are there any encouraging words that you want to ha- share with other entrepreneurs that are maybe on the fence, that haven't really broken away to start their own businesses, or they have, or they, and they're having some difficulties as they try to chase their dreams? Oh, I'll tell you, it's what I have found is it's been uh, for me it's been a long process of of um, you know hit and miss. Some things work, some things don't. It's not 
I can't remember the famous quote, but somebody was talking about how people, somebody who became successful, they go, oh, he's an overnight success. He goes, yeah, I'm an overnight success after you know 40 years of trying, kind of a thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying is it's uh, this wasn't my first attempt at you know being an entrepreneur, and so. I would say if you're if that's where somebody's heart really lies, then you know continue to pursue that, and you know don't quit, don't give up. Um, you know, most entrepreneurs are are uh, you know we have uh, pretty thick skulls. They don't like to quit, and if somebody goes out there and has a couple of you know semi successes or a failure or two or whatever, it doesn't. It's not the end of the world. Uh, if it's in right. your heart, keep 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 pursuing it. You know, you might not want to quit your day job, but don't give up. You know, being an entrepreneur, if that's what's you know, if you have that burning desire in your inside, because it it takes a while, and pretty soon you become pretty knowledgeable about a lot of different things. And the things that you got excited about, you know, years ago, you get less excited about because you can sit back and look and understand how. That process works. You say, you know what? That's I've kind of been there, done that. Understand a little bit more now. That's not a direction. I'll, I'll go move down this direction. And uh, you know, it's a it's a series of ups and downs, and it's a winding road. That's for sure. That is true. And I, re- I really appreciate having you on the show today and uh, for all of the people that have tuned in to listen to Norm. And you can find this broadcast. It's going to be a podcast at the site you're using right now, and it's on Facebook uh, also at backslash STR8 uh, Talk Radio. And you can go ahead and, and like us there and follow us and have conversations with us about what we're doing. So next week we're going to have former U.S. Ambassador Ed Wolf on the show. He's running for Kitsap County Commissioner, and uh, we'll chat with him about balanced 21st century leadership and what that looks like for him and other topics. So, Donya Keating signing off, 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, September 11th. And obviously a special day today. Our thoughts go out to everyone that's been affected by the special day. Thanks for tuning in. 